Hello and welcome to the Logistics Podcast. I'm your host, Kirsty Adams, editor of SHG Logistics Magazine. Did you listen to the first podcast? Hopefully you did and enjoyed it. We got some nice comments on LinkedIn. Um, quite a few people said it was a good idea, so thank you. If you like it, please do review it on your podcast platform because it helps other people to find it. We also got some really useful feedback from Michael Roberts, Head of Group Logistics at Specsavers. And Michael messaged me to say, by the way, listen to your first podcast. Great start. We'd love to hear a more of a roundtable conversation format with key industry leaders, colleagues on certain topics going forward. Thanks, Michael. And yes, absolutely. I think roundtable discussion generates some fantastic and very strong content. So we do plan to do that in future. So this is episode two. Last month, we focused on Black Friday. This issue, we're taking on the death of the high street debate. And we're also revisiting the Business on the Move Schools Initiative. This month's guests include former Director of Distribution at Toys R Us, Chris House. I can look at many highs and lows, but at the end of the day, it is the team that we built. And 95% of those people re-employed. We also interview retailer Professor Neil Ashworth, CEO of Collect Plus and CCO of Yodel. Retail's changed more in the last 15 years than it has in the last 300 and will change more in the next five years than it has in the last 15. In many ways it's driven by technology, it's driven by the fact that the customer is in control and the customer is more demanding than they ever have been. David Leach, Programme Director for Novus Courses in Logistics and Supply Chain at Aston University, talks about how he uses the business on the move game at graduate level. So much opportunity out there within our profession, and yet young people know so little about it. So using the game, getting out into schools at every possible opportunity, telling young people about the wonderful opportunities there are. Enjoy the episode, and if you are a logistics operator and you do want to participate in future, perhaps you are opening a new site or one a new contract, please do contact us with your story. Just email kirsty.adams at informa.com. The news this month focuses on property and is brought to you by our property editor, David Tame. There's been a fascinating few weeks in the property of logistics and warehousing, and that's because we've had the first half take-up data released by a number of the big property brokerages. For instance, Stavels came up with some impressive figures, which demonstrated how take-up in the first half has soared compared with the same period in 2017 take-up in the first quarter was about 10.6 million square feet, and these are CBRE figures, but most of the agencies come up with about the same results. 68% of that was for design and build pre-let warehouses, 24% for existing built stock, just 8% for speculative development. That means the market's growing extremely fast, but on the back predominantly of design and build deals. The first half saw the East Midlands performing particularly strongly. That was about 7 million square feet in 14 deals. And that's interesting in itself because it means the size of deals are getting larger. Um, you can do the maths yourself, uh, 7 million square feet, 14 deals. They, these are big warehouses. 
The same is true in the West Midlands, although it's rather smaller scale of activity, as you'd expect outside the Golden Triangle. And it's also true in the Northwest. The Northwest, which is perhaps the third logistics property market in the UK, has seen a number of really fascinating deals. Whilst Amazon was active in the Northeast, approaching 400,000 square feet around Darlington, it's not been quite as well noticed that they're about to take considerably more in the Northwest. Speculation swirls that they are about to take 360,000 square feet warehouse space in Haydock, which is ideal for both east-west and north-south communications. If they follow the strategy they adopted in Manchester, Manchester's airport city, then they will insert a large number of mezzanine floors in there, and we could see a very large fulfilment centre. They're also opening a new facility at Logistics North Bolton. Simultaneously, we've seen medical distributor Movianto take 673,000 square feet, also in Haydock, which perhaps shows where demand is heading in the northwest. It's heading out of the traditional Cheshire and Lancashire locations into that sweet spot between Liverpool and Manchester on the M6 and the M62. Something more light-hearted now. Next year, charity organisation TransAid will be celebrating its 20th anniversary by putting on a 12-day cycle challenge from Land's End to John O'Groats. Head of fundraising, Florence Behrman, talks to me about this special event it's putting together in June 2019. It's next year, it's June the 11th to the 23rd, um, and it's to celebrate Trans Day's uh, 20th anniversary. We turned 20 in October this year, and we wanted to do something uh, that would pull the industry together and give people lots of different ways to get involved. And this seems like the natural follow-on to lots of our other challenges. Lots of our supporters, uh, people like the Malcolm Group and Volvo and Renault Truck have agreed to put on lunches or dinners or other things for us as we work our way up the country to help us celebrate that everyone's done for us and all of our successes as well over the 20 years. We also offer people the opportunity just to do one stage. So we've split it into four three-day stages up the country. So you could decide just to do one three-day part or two stages or even three stages. Um, Or another alternative um, is that we're encouraging companies particularly, but anyone to put in a relay team. So you could have four people each doing a three-day stage and then your company will have achieved land's end to John O'Groats. But there's a whole nice sort of team building and sort of networking and sort of doing it together as part of your organisation that we're trying to encourage as well. The target is to raise £200,000, right? Um, how will the organisation um, use proceeds from this event? So the money will go towards uh, all of our uh, life-saving programmes. It won't go to anything specific. And um, The beauty of such challenges is that this money uh, is unrestricted and means that we can spend it where we think that the need is greatest or where we can test out something new. So that tends to be how we spend all the money that the transport and logistics industry donate to us. It's money that we can test new pilot projects and then we can prove that an idea works and then take it to someone like Comet Relief, for example, or UKAs, and they can scale it up with even more money. So that flexibility um, enables us to... to come up with a new innovative idea or fund gaps that we think no one else is funding. And road safety and the work that we do around that in Africa is a particular example of that. And that was Florence Behrman, Head of Fundraising at Transaid. 
to sign up for the cycle challenge, please go to www.transaid.org or email Florence Behrman to see how you can take part at florence at transaid.org. If you like your news story featured here, please email kirsty.adams at informa.com. Next up is IMHX event director Rob Fisher. IMHX is the UK's largest intralogistics event and it takes place every three years. The next one is 24th to the 27th of September 2019. This podcast is sponsored by IMHX. In 2019, there will be a skill zone at the event for young people. It will include lots of interactive features that demonstrate the diverse career options that logistics offers. Here's Rob talking about why we need a skill zone at IMHX in the first place. It really needs to start fighting for the best talent out there. These people have lots and lots of choices, whether it be media or engineering or manufacturing or pharmaceutical sector. And the logistics sector needs to start battling and raising its profile so that these young people are A, aware of the industry and B, aware of the profession as itself and the career opportunities and development. Please do register to attend the event at www.imhx.net. You can also see who's already signed up to exhibit in the August issue of SHD Logistics. Is the High Street dead? Some feel a bit dead. The death of the High Street debate is quite visible in the mainstream media. Here's a story which echoes numerous other stories before it. Two household names, both of them, are bust. Toys R Us and Maplin are the latest victims of the upheaval on the High Street. For now, Toys R Us stores remain open, staff are still in work, an administrator has been appointed to find a buyer for the loss-making company, but he doesn't sound very confident. That was ITV News on the 28th of February this year. I just met Amanda and Chelsea outside our offices in Victoria, on Victoria Street. Here's what they said about the high street and their shopping habits. So like the local town, the high street there, there's not really, it doesn't really offer much. It's only got like Primark and like some of the smaller shops. Um, So people don't really tend to shop there unless they're going for the Primark. Mainly go to like the big shopping centre like Bluewater because that's not too far from where I live. I live in Wembley. There's a high street but there's not much there to actually do your shopping so they used to have like an M&S and like places like that and that's all gone it's all like pound land pound stretchers so there's not really much there the most they have there really is a TK Maxx I don't really go there to be honest to shop the closure of high street or bricks and mortar retailers is starting to feel a bit normal isn't it when Woolworths went there was heartbreak it had been around for about 100 years That was only 10 years ago. It feels a lot longer. So much has happened since. So what's actually been happening in retail? Is the high street dead? And is logistics the new retail? Here's Professor Neil Ashworth, a retailer, CEO of Collect Plus and CCO of Yodel, to answer my questions. Well, it's changing. Retail's always changed. Retail's changed more in the last 15 years than it has in the last 300 and will change more in the next five years than it has in the last 15. Mm-hmm. So we're into this sort of an era of, of incremental and exponential growth 
in many ways is driven by technology. It's driven by the fact that the customer is in control and the customer is more demanding than they ever have been. Mm. And the consumer now wants more for the money. They want an experience um, rather than just a, a store. And, and the consequence of that is that the retailers who are recognising this are going to the wall because they are providing average products for average people mm-hmm. in average environments and customers don't want average anymore. Stuart Higgins, our director of Bearing Point UK, agrees. He says this interesting phase is driven by a change in the power base. If you think about it, retailing in the high street used to be very simple. A retailer would collate a range, put it on sale in a store. The customers only shopped on the high street 10 years ago. So actually, you were pretty assured that you'd get a level of sales and therefore you'd get a level of profitability for your business. Today is very different because the average consumer has access to a global retail audience in their pocket and can order anything from anywhere and select from millions of products and buy on cheapest price from China if they want to. So the power has very clearly shifted into the hands of the consumer and retailers have to respond, frankly, and those that don't are going to find it very difficult because the dynamics of that high street retail role are changing. There's a magical place we're on our way This advert brings back some fond memories. I was born in the 80s, the store's heyday, and this jingle was as exciting as hearing Santa himself come down the chimney. Toys R Us went to the wall earlier this year, a company that didn't survive at the mercy of new, more powerful customers in this changing landscape. I managed to track down Chris Howes on LinkedIn. Chris is former director of distribution at the toy retailer, Toys R Us. Chris had a successful career at the company for over 30 years. He was there for the highs and the lows. He agreed to talk to us about why Toys R Us collapsed. There's a short answer and there's a long answer, but if we look back at how Toys R Us became successful in the UK, some of it is is the answer to, to why it also became unsuccessful. There was Toys R Us in the US, and then it opened in Canada, the UK, Europe and Asia Pacific primarily big box out-of-town locations on long-term leases. The systems were very different for the U.S. operation to the rest of the world. And there was massive growth during the 80s and 90s. But that slowed down. It began to stagnate. The share price starts to fall. So the business was looking, what do we do next? Which led us to the 2005 leveraged buyout. This should have been a quick flip, not just a death sentence for the noose that took 13 years to finally hang us. Properties were mortgaged, there were large loans. And then just two years on, the big crash of 2007, which which sort of affected all retailers, Toys R Us were looking to to how we could replace lost sales. We looked at new product ranges, uh, sportswear, clothing, musical instruments, uh, tech, uh, books, uh, Claire's accessories. I think the only one of those that was successful was Claire's Accessories. It was a, it was a very big success. But the other things, we, we, we tried them. They didn't work. There was a big void from where Toys R Us had been a massive player in the video games market, especially when Nintendo and Sega were the market leaders. But as Sony and Microsoft moved in, they already had really strong relationships with the large electrical retailers, which made it more difficult for Toys R Us. Obviously, there was growth online. Toys R Us in the UK were maybe a little slow to react, mainly because they weren't supported strongly enough by the by the US, where 
uh, e-commerce was was quite strong. We also had a, a change of, of structure within Europe. We took out country managing directors and MDs, and we converted to European columns for operations, buying, finance, and marketing. This saw some really good talent leave the business. And by the time we changed back to having uh, local management again, it, it was it was too late. Um, the UK business it really needed funds to change its store formats and to improve its digital offering to fight competition. Uh, in the past, we'd never have allowed an operator like Smith to get established, but they cleverly opened small units close to our uh, large Toys R Us outlets, siphoned off customers, but with much lower overheads. So we just weren't able to, 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 to deal with that as we would have done in the past uh, because of lack of lack of capital, lack of cash. The interest on our debts were, was in circa 10%, and this stopped the critical supply of capital. So much focus was on making efficiencies to improve cash flow and to service the loans. Uh, the CVA that we put in place was just too late. The, the ideas within it were really good. We needed to, to change the format of our stores, get away from the, the long-term uh, expensive leases on some of the, the big out-of-town sites. Uh, we wanted to open more mall stores, uh, reduce the footprint, but there just wasn't enough capital to allow us to do this efficiently and quickly enough. Toys R Us had some great teams. They were really committed, experienced, and they could make things happen really quickly. But we just didn't get the opportunity to, to put the business where it should be. Toys R Us was a magical place in the 80s. All 80s kids can confirm that. But 80s kids have different demands now as do 90s kids and the noughties, and so on. The younger you are, the more logistics channels you'll use. So you might, mm. you might want to click and collect with the retailer today. You might want to click and collect with Collect Plus tomorrow. You might want to return it through a store or have it collected from your home, or you might want home delivery, or you might want delivery to more workplace. Mm. And so you've got all of these different options that are coming into the retail space. And frankly, a lot of retailers have seen this coming and have actually uh, prepared themselves for it, and others haven't, and they've been a little bit on the back foot, really, and, and therein lies part of the challenge that we see today. So what does the future of retail look like? I asked you and Neil. I think the shopping centres of the future will change fairly dramatically. The idea of a, a group of stores will, will be modified. Shopping centres will differentiate on experience. Um, customers will need a reason to go there because actually, frankly, they could simply stay at home and order everything from their living room if they wanted to. So I think we'll see a mixture of retail outlets and entertainment outlets coming through. We'll see stores that are developing more theatre, so a more exciting shopping experience, more interactive graphics, more space in store. There will be less stock in store to buy uh, because retailers need to be very careful, as I said before, about how they manage their inventory and where they place it. But what you'll see is connected displays. You'll see more electronic technology capability in store to allow customers to research in store whilst they're next to the product. You'll have the ability to order in store for home delivery or, or collection. And I think we're also going to see retail shopping centers becoming collection centers for an online shopping experience. One of the things that 
is difficult for any customer in today's world is this idea that you might order something online, it doesn't fit, and then you have to return it. Uh, actually, a number of uh, a number of people we're talking to are investigating the idea of collection centres in a central place like a shopping centre, where you could go and collect your home delivery item, to have dressing rooms there to try it on and return it immediately if it's not uh, the right fit. And I think increasingly we're going to see shopping centres as a, a hub for retail activity also being a hub for local home delivery, particularly for same-day delivery as that grows. Why? Well, actually, to facilitate same-day delivery, you need the, the stock to be close to the customer. Otherwise, the logistics just don't work. And that's an obvious opportunity for development. You've got organisations who've decided that they don't want to sit back and wait to be disrupted, shall we say. So... You see IKEA doing some quite interesting things now in terms of trialing different sizes of stores. You know, so they've decided that they don't want to be the next the next casualty. They're actually going to do different things in a different kind of way. So they're building out their fulfillment proposition. They're building out a new store uh, capability in terms of looking at stores on the high street. What they described, this isn't my phrase, you know, big blue boxes in potato fields. They, um, they're looking at, at smaller operations, whether they're pop-ups or high street stores, coupled with online propositions themselves. So I think they're starting to think, you know, we could very easily be disintermediated here or cut out of the, uh, the overall equation. So they're doing things that are very different. And then, you know, around the world, you'll see lots and lots of retailers that have thought about the way in which they present themselves. So Globetrotter Outdoor are a really interesting organisation in that they are what it says on the tin. They're an outdoor retailer, and you can go to any camping store and be underwhelmed by the way in which product is displayed and the uh, the kind of um, support and assistance that you get. Globetrotter are interesting. They have great big pools in their stores where you can try out a kayak or their subaqua gear. You know, they've got um, showers in the store where you can check that the you know, the waterproof jacket is actually waterproof. They have different little pathways in the store with cobbles or with or wooden boards or whether you can try out walking boots and make sure that they actually work for you. So what they're trying to do is they're actually trying to uh, to create that experience. They actually allow you to stay overnight in the store in a tent if you want to. And it's that kind of thing that we're seeing more and more of where retailers are starting to create you know, an experience for the consumer that actually creates a, a relationship over time that might say, you know, you might buy this product today, but you might not, but you'll certainly remember this experience and this is a place you'll come back to because of the way in which we create that bond with you. And I think that's a really important part of the, uh, the modern equation. And, and as a consequence of that, what, you, what we are seeing, more and more pure play retailers opening shops. And you know, here is one of the big dilemmas to a lot of the things that have been written about, about the death of the high street, is that if the high street is dying, then why is it that... Amazon and Misguided and Bowden and others are opening high street shops. Well, when you actually think about it, marketing is bloody expensive. And um, the online pure plays have to spend an awful lot of money getting people to go to their websites. Now, what we know from high street locations, if you put them in the right place, they're a great marketing tool. So they're great for customer acquisition. And this is one of the things that I found when I was at Tesco. It's part of the challenge of modern retailing that the metrics haven't been retail haven't necessarily kept up with the with the experience. And what that means is that every retailer measures itself by turnover per linear foot or turnover per square foot. But if you're turning your stores more into experience outlets or, you know, display centres, 
then you're not necessarily going to take the money in those stores. And we sort of turned that on its head when I was at Tesco. And I, I encourage retailers to do this more and more to say, actually, what are you trying to do? You know, a store really is about is a way of attracting customers in through the front door, you know, through great displays and window show and all the rest of it. You know, the, the retail theatre that I suppose we become used to with organisations like Selfridges. Over the years, their windows draw you into the store. That's customer acquisition at the end of the day which is the, the be-all and end-all of all of the online guys. They want to acquire more and more customers. And a really effective way of acquiring customers is actually to put down stores. So if you go back and look at the history of Victoria's Secret as an example, Victoria's Secret used to be a catalogue retailer. And what they realised is that they had really strong intensity of, of customer activity in certain towns in the US. And what they'd do after a period of time, because of their catalogue sales, they knew what they knew where their their pockets of consumers were, and they go and set up a store there. That's all that's happening now with the uh, the pure plays. The pure plays are realising where they've got pockets of customers, you know, whether they can actually put a store on the ground to serve those customers in a better way, but also to acquire more. So you know, the metric of the store is changing from the old traditional measures of, um, of of direct sales to one, I think, of acquisition and about the way in which you interact with customers. It might not lead to a, an absolute sale straight away, but it certainly may do that over time. So it's about creating relationships in this modern era and stores have a huge role to play in that. Chris also gives some examples of retailers who are really getting it right. I think the companies that have been successful have a unique selling point. Halfords have services. They fit parts. They fit parts to your bike. They fit parts to your car. They do bike services. You have to go into a store to, to make this happen. And they are pushing this and it's helping. WH Smith, they bought the post offices into their stores. You look at their sales figures and they're still healthy. They've got their travel operations with their locations at airports, stations in hospitals. People will still be buying these discretionary purchases of, of books um, and the good old deal of a bottle of water free when you buy the Daily Telegraph. Primark, not online, but their customers, uh, many of them use public transport and go into city centres. And then the likes of Ikea, where they really are still a destination with play areas, restaurants. Advice and ideas. There are products that, that you really need to speak to people about before you purchase. I get very nervous about making some purchases online in case the thing just isn't isn't right for what I need. The retailers described here are clearly alive and well. But there are high streets in the UK which can be described as dead. I've been in them. According to Neil and Stuart, it's just a transitional period. It's changing and we need to give them a chance. It's the natural evolution of things in many ways. I think in some ways a lot of commentators are expecting something that doesn't exist in, in some ways. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that people want to know what retailers are doing and where they're going with their propositions. They don't ask those kind of questions of Twitter or Facebook or a lot of the online players who, who the you know, consumers um, just expect to see continual evolution. And that's what we're actually seeing in retail. But observers and, uh, and consumers to some, some degree are expecting a big bang and a, and a big new change. And it won't happen like that. It will evolve as retailers and their partners understand the consumer increasingly over you know, the months and years and start to build a differentiated proposition within the market that actually works 
both to them as a business model, but also for the consumer. None of my interviewees for this podcast are saying the high street is disappearing, logistics is taking over, but that is the opinion of other industry experts. In this month's issue of SHC Logistics, Aqua's CEO, Peter Ward, says the following. The continued demise of the high street means that retailers are having to face up to the challenge of reshaping their routes to market to meet the ever-increasing demands of technology-enabled customers. As a result, logistics has become the new retail. When I ask Neil and Stuart, retail people, if logistics is the new retail, they say it isn't. I'm not sure retail is the new logistics. I believe that logistics and the supply chain are now the custodians of customer service, uh, which is a slightly different way of looking at it. In future, customer service is going to be far more driven by the ability to respond in an agile and flexible way to the needs of the customer and to move product to the customer in a way they want on terms in a place of their choosing and at a time of their choosing. So supply chain is going to be the custodian of customer service moving forward. You know, my readers are warehouse managers, logistics directors. What's the most relevant thing you can tell them right now? I think they need to create a bigger voice at board. I think generally speaking in in the retail world, uh, retailers have tended for years to be focusing on how they develop their store, their customer offer, and their customer service from a sales and marketing perspective. And very little has been done at board level to recognize the, the change that needs to be motivated within logistics and supply chain in order to facilitate the new world. Most logistics directors will be living with uh, legacy systems and uh, capability that has been developed over a number of years to optimize store delivery. They're bolting on the capability to service home delivery, but that comes at a cost. We already know that home delivery is a more expensive channel than store delivery, but actually if you're then bolting on that capability rather than truly integrating it into your business, then the costs go even higher. There aren't many retailers who've recognized that to date, and there aren't many retailers who are taking on the huge challenge of transforming their supply chain operating model to genuinely service an online omnichannel customer. No, no, logistics is logistics, retail is retail. Logistics is a very important part of the overall process, whether it's first mile logistics and bringing new products into the the retail organization, whether it's, you know, final mile fulfillment, whether or not it's pick, pack and uh, warehousing solutions, whether it's drop ship operations, whether it's marketplace aggregation. There's a whole pile of ways in which logistics comes to the party. Logistics isn't retail, retail is retail. Is about bringing products to the consumer that enhance and enrich the consumer's lifestyle at the end of the day. So it's those things that, and you know, the, the best experience are those ones where <clears throat> you buy something you didn't really know that you wanted, but it just, you know, it has that, that impact on your life that you didn't you didn't really expect. Those are few and far between. That's what retailers really are out there seeking. They're, they're seeking lifestyle enhancing products. That's not the role of a logistics provider. The logistics provider is to ensure that that
that spends all of their time creating events for the local community in and around the high street. Um, so they were saying that over the course of the 52-week year, they had, I think, 97 events that they'd arranged and organized as a way of bringing their community together um, and bringing football back to, you know, back onto the high street and doing a very successful job. You, know, you, look, at, you look at the regeneration of Watford as an example. You know, in Watford, over the course of the summer, they actually create a beach, deck chairs, and show open-air movies. Uh, it doesn't guarantee that people will shop while they're there, but it gives them it gives them a great opportunity. You know, it's then down to good retailers to uh, to part with the, persuade the uh, the customer to, to part with the cash. Um, yeah, so I see things happening out and about that um, are, are starting to say town councils and public bodies are no longer prepared to accept the the demise that's been you know, talked about in, in the media and they're starting to do something about it. And if you couple that with great retail concepts and you know, the increasing shift towards experience, I think the high street's got a long way to go yet, an awful long way to go. I think Neil's final words there sum things up nicely. The high street isn't dead, it's changing, and it has a long way to go. Logistics will play a major part in creating the new retail. It's this debate which has inspired the theme of our next conference, which we've called Is Logistics the New Retail? It's taking place on the 30th of October 2018 at the Library of Birmingham, and you're very welcome to join us. The website is logisticsconference.co.uk. I'd like to end this feature with some final words from Chris Howes, which I think are very relatable, but also lovely. I think at the end of the day, it really has to be the team. I can look at many highs and lows. I can look at massive increases in sales and what my team and other teams did to support that, how reactive we were. I can look at uh, automation of of our buildings. I can look at bringing of uh, e-commerce in-house. I can look at making the budget every year. But at the end of the day, it's the team that we built, the loyalty that those people gave to the business. And at the end, the fact that 95% of those people were re-employed extremely quickly because of the skills that we gave them and the confidence that we gave them to help them move on. I predict that in 2028, young people will select logistics as a career of choice. In part, this will be thanks to the board game Business on the Move, which was launched four years ago by ex-teachers Patricia Smedley and Andy Page. Their objective was, and still is, to excite and inspire 9-19 to year olds about business and global supply chains. They've achieved this and much, much more. Here's Andy at the launch event for the Global Edition, which I attended back in June. What today is about four years later, virtually to the day actually, is the production and launch of a new global edition of the game, essentially because we've run out and also because we've had such amazing demand from all over the world. It seems to have struck a chord, not only with different countries, but also with markets we never imagined, such as higher education and also training in-house. The global edition, we hope, is going to be proven to be more interactive. That's certainly the feedback we've got so far. It's certainly global in its nature, and it also is much more interactive, involves people making more decisions and lots more fun than even ever before. As Andy says, it's being used at universities. Here's one example. 
In many ways, we use it to attract young people into the industry to come and study the subject area, so taking it out into schools, particularly at sixth form level. Um, we're also using it at university open days to try and uh, excite young people about all of the fantastic things that are involved in logistics. And we also use it with our current students as an educational tool. Kerner and Nagel is one of the game's sponsors. They're using it internally for training. This really shows how the game has surpassed its original objective. Here's Claire Prochowski, future talent manager at Kerner and Nagel. So we've been invited here as the sponsors of Business on the Move. We're a relatively new sponsor to the game, but we are honoured to be part of it. It is absolutely wonderful to be here today. It's so exciting actually to see the students here playing the game. And you can hear from the noise levels that obviously it's a fun game. Um, but actually what we know is that they're engaging with the learning and they're starting to understand about the logistics industry in a greater context, which is brilliant. Claire, how is Karen Nagel using the game at the moment? Okay, so um, we um, certainly have plans to roll this out as part of our school and education's rollout, and that would be at schools, colleges and universities, because, as Andy said quite regularly, it's applicable for all ages. But actually what we're starting off doing is an internal rollout. So um, we will be running training days with all of our HR colleagues, and then they will be cascading it out into our business departments. And we're doing that because actually we're a multi-site local business across the UK, um, and we see real value in actually working on this internally. It's a great team-building exercise. But it opens the eyes of um, students, but also our colleagues, to the wider supply chain process. On a day-to-day -day basis, we get stuck into our, our own jobs. We see um, you know, the silo that we work within, we deliver for the customer that we're there to work for. But actually, this brings to life the bigger picture. It brings to life the importance of international logistics. Um, and what we're really excited to do is run sessions where we've got our contract logistics director and our warehouse operatives together, working as part of teams and actually discussing how they might take different approaches to the game and how they might have taken a different consideration to a customer issue or managed their cash flow slightly differently. So we're really, really excited to start those sessions internally and see how they work. I think the game's use at university and at leading logistics operators like K&N for training is really impressive. However, what pleases me the most is that children are being educated on logistics at primary school. That's when the influence is most needed. My name's Sarah and I liked how we got to deliver the stuff and I learned that, that you should always like, think about what, what you're going to buy before you do it. My name's Kira and I like how it's really competitive and I like how it's math related and I like how that I found out like how our clothes that we're wearing right now, like how what country they're coming from and how they're coming to the UK. Those children are from Boucher C of E Primary School in Bermondsey. I met them at the launch in June. These are your future heads of distribution, your DC managers. But it's the teachers the industry needs to impress. They're the gatekeeper. Meet their class teacher, Lorna Clifford. She's the one who put the ball game in their hands. Well, I think this game really introduces them to that world. As children, it's not something that they would know about necessarily. And this game is brilliant at that. And in fact, the very first time we played the game, the children were amazed that things traveled from all over the world into the UK that had not been a concept that had ever entered their minds yeah. perhaps and then they were desperate to check their clothes and check the label and see where their clothing was from so this game is brilliant at not only 
introducing children to the world of logistics, but also covering a lot of the curriculum coverage that's needed for the year five and six children particularly. We always try to make learning as purposeful, as in context as possible, and this game is perfect for that. It's not a context that they are likely to have family and friends working. It's quite alien to them, really. So this is great at introducing them to that, whilst also developing their mental arithmetic, developing their geography skills, developing citizenship. So it's brilliant for that. So if Pat and Andy can do this, develop our future talent to support an industry they don't even work in, what can we do? It's no good having a game if it doesn't go anywhere. It's no good having any resource. It's got to get out there. And we rely on logistics operators who are aware of the skill shortages, aware of the fact that talent has got to be attracted for the right reasons. It's got to become a career of choice and not an accident. This game is a start. It can spark the curiosity in young people and older people too to give a very positive vibe about the whole of the sector. Well, such is the shortage of talent in the supply chain that we need everybody in industry mobilised to try and encourage young people to get involved. There's so much opportunity out there within our profession and yet young people know so little about it. So using the game, getting out into schools at every possible opportunity, telling young people about the wonderful opportunities there are. As media partner, we receive a game. I'm planning to take it into my old school and talk to the students there about logistics. You can do that too. You can buy a game and donate it to your old school, your local school, your children's school. If everyone did this, we'd be in a pretty good place in 10 years' time. If you'd like to find out more, just visit businessonthemove.org or you can drop them an email. It's info at businessonthemove.org. That's it for this month. Thank you for listening. The next podcast will be available on the 4th of September. The main feature of episode 3 is Labour versus Automation. We'll also be interviewing incoming and outgoing Chief Executives of the Food, Storage and Distribution Federation. We'll be talking about the challenges their members face around Brexit and climate change. A story on this will also be featured in our September issue. In the meantime, we'll be releasing a special report in the next couple of weeks on our recent trip to the largest and tallest speculative logistics warehouse in the UK. So please do subscribe to ensure you receive it.